0: Welcome to the Foundation Podcast, your weekly insight into the most significant conservative ideas being discussed right now all across America. From policymakers to grassroots activists, and from thought leaders to elected leaders, each week we bring you the people and the ideas shaping the American Republic. Brought to you with a dose of Texas, where Lone Star Liberty shines brighter than ever. Well, folks, thanks for joining another edition of the Foundation Podcast. This is Kevin Roberts, your host, executive director of TPPF. Joining me today is former member of the Texas House, Jason Isaac, who now is a wonderful TPPF colleague. He's joined the Army of Texas Public Policy Foundation folks as senior manager and distinguished fellow of our Life Powered Project. Jason Isaac, thanks for being here.
1: My pleasure, Kevin. Thanks for having me on.
0: So for the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to talk about the 2019 legislative session in Texas. And everyone in the world should care about this because as Texas goes, so goes America. And we know that America is the greatest place in the history of the planet. And so all eyes should be on Austin, Texas right now. Absolutely, it should be. So what we're wanting to do is to focus on the handful of issues that we have put a lot of resources into. Of course, at the Texas Public Policy Foundation We work a couple of dozen issues every legislative session. All of those are important. But as we were heading into this session, we asked ourselves the question, which five public policy areas must there be action on in this session in order for us to be confident that Texas will remain Texas? And so I've asked you to join us today because of your experience as a legislator, your experience, of course, in the energy industry, also someone who's extremely good for grassroots leaders in learning how to message, how to communicate our topics, as well as even kind of activating those grassroots folks. So, we'll ask you along the way to comment on some of the policy, but ultimately, what we want the takeaway to be for our listeners of this edition is how they can be engaged in the legislature. So, we're going to end there, but we're also going to start there. In a general kind of way, based on your experience as a legislator, as someone who knows the grassroots really well, what are some of the kind of guiding principles or tactics even that the most successful folks who want to see positive action
1: accomplished in the legislature do? I think it's about building relationships with the people that work for them and we have to remember as constituents that we have we are the bosses to people that serve us both at the state and the federal level. And that's why I always referred to my constituents as my bosses because I wanted them to feel empowered that way. And so when you develop a relationship with the people that are serving you, it's extremely important to be successful in that relationship development. So you can follow them on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and then even respond with positive comments. If you like proposals that they have, let them know that you like them and you support them because more more times than not, we're hearing about negative things that people don't like about our policy proposals, it's very rare that we hear from people that are supportive of our efforts, whether it's to cut property taxes or reform public education. Uh, it, you hear people that are complaining more than you hear people that are praising, and so when you develop this legion of people that are behind you and supporting you, uh, it's it's always nice. I have. Publicly gone up and hugged some people because I we had developed an online relationship and I thought we were had met each other before and were friends and and I it happened just at policy orientation just a couple of weeks ago I went up and I gave some guy a hug and he's like hey it's nice to meet you and I'm like oh I I, I thought we'd met before you we were could, merely Facebook friends we we, we were more, <laughs> yeah I, I thought we were more than that. Um, but it was someone that I developed a relationship with online because he was supportive and encouraging of my efforts. And so then I realized it was someone that I could trust. Uh, and so I think it's really important to develop those relationships with the people that are serving the constituents of the state of Texas.
0: Sure. As, as you know, the, one of the things I like to say here in our daily work is that we have two forms of currency ideas, which is, would be important for a think tank, and people. And by that, of course, we're talking about relationships, the way we conduct ourselves, As cheerful warriors, to paraphrase Ronald Reagan, I think is crucial to this. It doesn't mean, of course, that we at all betray our principles as much as it really does help to build the army, so to speak, of people who are going to go to the Capitol or for that matter, simply pick up the phone and call offices and and, and make that action or make that phone call. What we want to do in the first segment here of this edition is to talk about the policies that we've deemed really important to Texas. We have grouped this under the thing known as the Texas Prosperity Promise, the Texas Prosperity Promise. And those principles, those policy prescriptions can be found at our website, texaspolicy.com. Without going into a tremendous amount of detail today, although we will probably do this as the session unfolds, we want to touch on each of those five parts of the Texas Prosperity Promise. Taxes, education, spending, accountability, and self-governance. We've had, I think, 22,000 people sign this petition. We invite you, if you're listening and haven't signed yet, to go to TexasPolicy.com and sign the Texas Prosperity Promise. Let's start with taxes. I think if you talk to the new Speaker of the House, Dennis Bonin, who spoke at our policy orientation, if you talk to the Lieutenant Governor, Dan Patrick, if you talk to Governor Abbott, each of them would say the top issue facing the legislature because it's the top issue facing Texans is property tax reform, both as a policy person as well as a former legislator. What's at stake there? And what are the solutions that can make sure that our property tax system in Texas is the fairest that it can be?
1: Yeah, we are one of the highest burden states when it comes to property taxes. They continue to rise. They're really unchecked uh, with the current rollback rate set at 8%. You see some entities like here in Austin, the city of Austin continuously every year raising their taxes either 7.99% or 8% so they don't trigger that rollback election. And so. Uh, you, you know, when we're out there building these relationships with the legislators, I, I like to use the sandwich technique when I'm talking to people and offering constructive criticism. So, as you're calling your your representatives and your senators, let them know that you really appreciate their service and you appreciate their ideas on cutting property taxes. And they should look and, and emphasize the, the property tax cut plan that the Tex Public Policy Foundation has proposed and then again thank them. So you started off with a positive. You give them the good constructive criticism in there to look at our plan because the Tex Public Policy Foundation's plan is the only one that I've seen so far that actually provides a tax cut a property tax cut. We've got the property tax cut calculator that I mentioned within a group of realtors that I was speaking with. I've never seen more people in a meeting turn to their paper and write down TexasPolicy.com so that they could go look at the property tax cut calculator. But that is is clearly the number one issue. Uh, it's been bubbling up for years, but as people are getting taxed out of their homes and now in Austin, we're starting to see stories on the news about businesses, people being taxed out of their businesses, the way they provide for their families. It's bad enough you've got people being taxed out of their homes, but now you're starting to see businesses feel that same effect. And uh, that's why it's so important this legislative session that the legislature finally do something to provide meaningful tax property uh, or property tax relief to the consumers and the constituents.
0: Well, it's really important. One of the things we set out to do in the interim between the last session and the start of this one was give our grassroots leaders some tools. And and one of them is this property tax calculator. So explain how simple this is to use and what it provides for the user. Yes. So
1: it, This is not an overnight solution to eliminate the maintenance and operation taxes. Our school tax, which is our largest tax on our property tax bills, It it is, it's just a simple calculator. You enter your taxes, your total taxes paid. I think in Hayes County, I have nine entities that I pay property taxes to live in a municipal utility district, have a couple of emergency services districts uh, and on and on and on. And you can go in there and enter your total tax bill and you'll see how much you're going to save year after year after year into where we get down to the point 11, 12 years from now and we have eliminated the maintenance and operation portion of our, our taxes while maintaining funding for public education.
0: Sure. And so if people say, gosh, 11 or 12 years, we want to eliminate it immediately. Well, that's sort of what we're hoping, right? That once the legislature puts into motion the mechanics of this plan, and it is a tax cut plan. This is from think tank world, 501c3 world. We have no dog in the hunt when it comes to campaigns or elections. So we get the benefit of being the umpire, if you will. And that's a privilege. It's not something we hold out as, as a badge on our sleeve, but a real privilege which we do with humility. But the point is, Texans want a property tax cut. End of sentence. And if we're going to do that, we can do it immediately. That will require some hard votes. And and that's something that you really appreciate as a former Mm -hmm. legislator. We're trying to give the legislators a tool that they can use to set Texas on a glide path to eliminate basically half of, of the property tax bill. If they choose to allocate more money to that tax cut, then they can do so and we think that maybe once Texans get a year or two of this tax cut relief, that they're going to clamor for that for the next session. So property tax system obviously is something that's really important, not just to reform, but to, to be focused on cutting. And I think that would be one step that our grassroots folks who are listening to this edition may want to do. Undergirding that, though, is the second part of the Texas prosperity promise, and that is education. And people know that at TVPF, we're always focused on introducing innovation and even competition into schools. We do so because we celebrate the heroic sacrifices of students and administrators and parents, but especially of students. All of our education work is focused on what's best for the kids. It's clear to me as a lifelong educator that one of the things we have to do to improve education in Texas is address the school finance system. Explain why that is important and how it's connected to educational outcomes. Yeah, it
1: is extremely important because the education and how we deliver education in the state are critical to the state's success. And so it's just imperative and it is closely tied with the property tax system. One thing to point out is people say, oh, there's local tax dollars and there's state tax dollars. 100% of the money from education comes from us, the taxpayers. And it's whether it's local or state, but we've got to get this right. We have some districts that are, that are victims of Robin hood that have their property taxes taken from them and then are given to other districts based on formulas from the state. And it's just an archaic, unfair way to finance education. There are some that are calling for a minimum of 50% from the state to fund public education. The, the, our proposal has a higher than that where we're starting to buy down this maintenance and operation rate. Um, but delivering this, this successful education is so important. We've got to give the local districts the tools to do that. There's, I'm glad to see that the governor is starting to chime in with the property tax cut proposals or the property kind of constraining the growth of government proposals that he has, that he's starting to look at some of the unfunded mandates that are out there. And I, I hope that conversation digresses into education because the state does place an un, a, a, just a, insurmountable um, amount of unfunded mandates on our local schools. And we've really got to give those schools the ability to manage themselves and put more emphasis back in the classroom. We see now that teachers, the only way that teachers can make more money and provide for their families is to go into administration. We have this incentive for them to go into administration. And we've seen it in the public schools in Dripping Springs. Teachers leave the classroom to go make more money as administrators, and they're great administrators, but they're better educators and they're better serving our students. And so we need to see some of the success like we've seen in Dallas Independent School Districts replicated around the state, where Dallas Independent School Districts is rewarding teachers that are doing a good job. And now some of those schools in inner city Dallas are outperforming schools in Highland Park Independent School District. And because we've, we've given them the freedom, the f- flexibility to do that, and they're doing it within their existing dollars. But it is, school finance is just such a big portion uh, of, the, it's the largest portion of the state's budget. And so we've got to get this right and deliver a better and more accountable system to the districts and to the, to the parents and to the students. Well, it's, it's
0: imperative. One of the ways that we will do that as well, we collectively as Texans, is to make sure that we're spending our precious government resources, which, of course, would be tax money.
1: Yes, our money.
0: Yeah. Well, and one of the mechanical ways that we think that can ensure that is by adopting the conservative Texas budget. No arrogance intended, but this is an idea of the Texas Public Policy Foundations from several years ago yeah. that if you take the, the concept that I'm sure you and I use as husbands and dads in our own households, that we have a finite amount of money to spend each year, and we apply that very common sense family budgeting principle to state government, which is that we're going to limit state spending to a certain number, and in our case in Texas, population growth plus inflation rate, that you're then able to make some decisions about which the what the priorities are within the budget. Yes, there will be some things that are more important, like education. There will be some things that will be less important that you can't afford in a certain budget year, in the same way that you and I might want to be driving five or six different vehicles, but we drive one. Yes. This is what state government yeah. has to yeah. do. The point is that for the last couple of sessions, to the credit of the lawmakers, you included in those votes, the state has committed to this conservative Texas budget. We need that to continue but we also need the same kind of philosophy to be held at the local level. Because if we don't, all of the property tax reform in the world is not going to address address the problem, which is too much.
1: Yeah, we've truly got to constrain the growth of government. Mind you, Texas does not have a property tax. It is the local municipalities and jurisdictions. I mentioned nine that were on my tax statement in Hayes County. Uh, And then that's why our proposal on the property tax cut plan constrains them to a two and a half percent rollback, which means they can raise taxes to 2.5% every year without triggering an election. And if they really need more than that, they're going to have to go to the public just like I would when I was campaigning. It was either elect me or don't run against me uh, for four terms and successful in convincing people to do that. And so now we're saying, guess what? We want to empower the local elected officials that if they need more than two and a half percent, they need to go out and convince the ones that they work for, their bosses, that they need a bigger budget, just like we would do in corporate America. If we need more money to spend on something, we're going to go and, and raise the money and build the revenue to make the case that we can do that. And that's that's exactly what our plan does. Uh, and I think that's that's very reasonable. Sure.
0: One of the ways that we can make that more likely, that is to to have this conservative Texas budget apply to local governments is to get taxpayer funded lobbyists out of the
1: equation. Yeah, that's really tough. And and that's where you've got to talk to the people again that work for you, your local elected officials, whether they're on a water board, whether they're on your municipal utility district, whether your city council or a county government, you need to let them know that you do not want your dollars used for advocating uh, at the Capitol. And that's taxpayer funded lobbying. Why do you elect these people? They're subdivisions of the state of Texas. I would understand if I was running for a county commissioner seat or a city council seat that my job is to represent that city or represent that county. And if that means developing a relationship with my state representative or state senator or lieutenant governor or the governor's office to make sure that we are protected, then that's the job that they've run for. And people need to be aware of that. Maybe with a good civics education, people will get made aware of that at a younger age and realize that, gosh, running for city council or a county commissioner seat or state representative or any elected official is a big responsibility and that we're utilizing the taxpayers' dollars and and doing it as effectively as possible. And one way to do that is be a good servant and not hire taxpayer-funded lobbyists. Now, if it's your business and you want to do it, you have an issue before you, fine. We see that all the time in the Capitol, but we really shouldn't be using our tax dollars to push initiatives when we have elected officials that have been elected to do that for us. I think that that's particularly true when you consider that
0: most of the violations of the proper balance between liberty and a proper role for government in Texas right now are happening at the local level. And I don't say that pejoratively at all, because I I respect my local officials. You do the same. They make a lot of sacrifices. The point is that as taxpayers, when I go and vote for mayor of where I live or the county commissioner where I live, I expect that person, as you said, to have the relationship with those members of the legislature what i don't want is that my tax paying my tax dollars are going to go to a professional lobbyist to advocate against my own liberty they're go, they're actively just to put a fine point on this they my tax dollars are going to advocating right now in the legislature for higher taxes.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 If, if you're listening, your tax dollars are being used against you. It's, the, it's, it's probably the largest issue. I know for me, it was the number one issue that I heard every single day when I got home from my service in the Capitol. My wife would say, what are you doing to decrease the burden of property taxes? I, I posted that on Facebook or Twitter one time, and someone says, wow, that sounds like an exciting relationship <laughs> when you're talking about tax policy with your bride. But it, she wants to make sure that her one day her parents can afford to own outright their own home and not have to rent it from the government. And their tax dollars are being used against them by people advocating to cut, to, to stop these policies in their tracks that will actually decrease their property taxes because they want more money and more power. And we truly have to constrain the growth of government. People are going to talk about local control. Mind you, these entities are subdivisions of the state of Texas. Local control is a tool. Not a principle. Yes, absolutely. And I say that leading into the last part of the Texas Prosperity
0: Promise, as an as, as an old history and civics teacher, we realize that if we if we're going to accomplish the first four tenets of the Texas Prosperity Promise—property tax cuts, education reform, spending reform, accountability, especially for taxpayer funded funded lobbying—we have to be teaching American history and civics better. Given your service in the legislature. How
1: important is that? It's extremely important. It's one of the reasons why my last legislative session in 2017, I launched a young women in leadership program in the Capitol where I asked the local school districts, private schools, and homeschool networks to send me nominations to have young women that were high school-aged women that might have an interest in government because I don't think they're learning it in the classroom. They're not getting firsthand a front row seat. And so for Ten different instances during the Capitol, I had women come in, young women come in and sit in my desk and cast votes for me on the House floor to get them encouraged and to plant the seed. And what better place to do that in the classroom? And so I would encourage people that are listening, and and that's one of my favorite things my wife will tell you, is is to go read to students and talk to them about my experience in the Capitol. I love uh, expressing the information and what I have learned over the years and trying to encourage people to really, truly want to serve Uh, their future constituents. Um, And and to learn this in the classroom is where it begins, where this passion begins. And so it is absolutely critical because even though, and I'd have kids say, you know, I can't vote for you. And their parents would say, you know, they can't vote for you. But it was still so critically important that they get this passion that they want to serve or will be left with people that do it for self-serving reasons. And that's not what we need. So Uh, This is absolutely critical that people are learning civics, both in K-12 and higher education in the state of Texas.
0: Well, thanks. I think it's really helpful for our listeners to hear that from a a former member of the legislature. As we move toward wrapping up here, Jason, two final questions for you. One is what I know a lot of grassroots people wonder, and that's sort of the insider's view. What was your service like from, from the inside? By that, I mean things that surprise you pleasantly or otherwise, highlights, uh, lowlights. I mean, everyone has those. But whatever story or stories would help our listeners understand how they can be the most effective advocates for the policies they care about.
1: So for me, it was being, I think you may have used the term this happy warrior or this optimistic warrior. For me, it was just being nice and, and developing relationships with people, from both parties, people with ideological differences, geographical differences, to bring them together to find areas where we could work on. And that helped me be most successful in passing legislation and serving the you know, 210,000 people that live in the two counties that I served. So again, it just really came down to developing relationships. There are invisible hands that will work to kill your legislation, that will work against you. Um, I fought those hands and successfully won and passed you know, sweeping groundwater private property protections in 2015. Uh, and I did that because I had good relationships with the people that I served with that didn't want to vote against me. Uh, because we got along and they knew that I was there to help them when they needed help and they were there to help me when my constituents needed help. And yeah, so, it's helpful and, to remember, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it helps to be nice. Sometimes, uh, you know, nice people do finish first. Um, and that's just a good good point to, to, to have and to follow. Well, it is,
0: especially in this era when civil discourse... Defined very broadly. <laughs> yes. You'll yeah. probably use an enhancement, shall we say.
1: Yeah, and it's unfortunate because that's all you see in the news today is all the negative things that are happening. I was talking to realtors uh, earlier today about our the, the legislation that would pass in the, at the federal level, the right on crime, the criminal justice reforms that really started at the Texas Public Policy Foundation years ago uh, and now is law at the federal level. And people didn't know what I was talking about. It was because it was bipartisan legislation that was passed, but it didn't sell to the media because people weren't at each other's throats, talking about how bad they were, and we really need to hold our media accountable. We want to hear more of what's actually being accomplished than what's not being accomplished. Well, thanks for that. Last question: something on the minds of all of our listeners. What's going to
0: happen this session?
1: <laughs> well, 140 days will have passed by sine die. We and know that for sure. we, we will pass a balanced budget. That uh, you know, that's that's the one requirement that we have to have happen. But I, I do believe. Um, and I'm really encouraged by Speaker Bonin uh, and his, his motive to, to, to get this stuff done in the regular session. And I, I see as someone who served in a lot of special sessions, uh, I see an opportunity to truly pass property tax relief and school finance reform that I hope will deliver more freedom to our schools and to f- families and to the children that are impacted by education Every single day. I think there's there's two areas where we're going to see some incredible uh, success stories by the end of the legislative session. Well, I
0: happen to agree. I look forward to maybe on Die or the day after coming back. Of course, we'll talk in the meantime and seeing how we, we did with our predictions. But I'll leave our listeners with this. We talk often about the impact that a single person can make. And I think, Jason, you would be the first as a former member to say that a single phone call a single visit in the halls of the Capitol can go a long way to affecting legislation. And when in that conversation, whether by phone or in person or if it has to be via email or via social media, there is a great combination of substance, which TPPF sort of prides itself in providing, and cheerful warriorness, if you will, then things happen. And so that's what we're encouraging people to do. I think Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick have been great models of that for many years. Speaker Bonin is very much in that mold. We, We heard that at policy orientation two weeks ago. And we are very optimistic that there will be substantive reform. But in order for
1: that to happen,
0: every single person listening to this podcast and then some We'll need to make that phone call, and we'll, we'll need to have that conversation. We invite y'all to visit texaspolicy.com regularly to keep up with updates. And of course, Jason, you and I will be back during the session providing some updates as well. And Thanks I want I
1: want to add in real quick at the bottom of texaspolicy.com, be sure and sign up for the Canon. My wife just signed up for it a couple of days ago and loves it, talks about it every day. Uh, great information, give you some good information about what the legislation is happening, what the text Ledge is doing. And give you an opportunity to call some people that you read about in the canon and just say, thank you for your service. Appreciate your fighting for liberty and prosperity here in Texas.
0: Great reminder. Jason Isaac, thanks for being a great Texan, great American, and for joining us today. Thanks for listening to the Foundation Podcast, brought to you by the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Please don't forget to subscribe.